church. Um, this, I, I want to uh, rehearse something that I shared with the church. It's been many years ago. And I, wanna, I want to, uh, for the title, for those, the, for, the, for the ministry the, uh, of, of the CDs, I want to talk about looking at our cities through the eyes of God. And it was birthed, I, I went, went through some experiences yesterday, and this thing was birthed. I had a lot of people come up to me yesterday and, and, and told me of things that happened in their life 35 years ago. Um, and when that happens to you, um, it, it, well, it's just something. I want to take you to the book of Jonah. Now, Jonah is four chapters long. Uh, you can read it, the whole book, in probably about, I don't know, what, five minutes. If you're a fast reader, you, five minutes probably be a long time. Ten minutes for people who read slow. It might surprise you to know that the book of Jonah is uh, the most read book of any in the Bible. I did not know that. Uh, but I was studying about, uh, you know, and getting some information about this. And the Jewish people read it every year on Yom Kippur, the ho most holiest day of the year on the Jewish calendar. All Jewish people read the book of Jonah. And uh, because it reminds them of their need for forgiveness and of being forgiven. And uh, so I thought, well, that, that's, that's pretty cool. Now, if you've ever read this book, and if you, you, for those of you that don't, Jonah is a reluctant prophet. He, uh, he uh, runs from God's clear direction uh, to go to, you know, he, God has told him, he said, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah gets up, and he cuts out the other way. Now, he has good reason, probably, uh, on, on a personal level, he probably has good reasons to run the other way. Because in reality... Nineveh was an Assyrian city. It would be found in modern-day Iraq today. It was, it was a stronghold for rebels. It was a, it was a, a protected city of, with giant walls. And raiders would go out of the city of Nineveh and attack the Jewish people. And uh, so he probably had a natural reason to hate these people and to be angry at them. But... Uh, it didn't make any difference when God tells you to do something. <laughs> you might ought to, even though you might have other personal reasons that you feel like you shouldn't, it might be, a, a, might be all right for you to, to, to do what God tells you to do. It was interesting. I thought, uh, you know, he, ultimately he became fish bait. And... Uh, <laughs> If you read the story, everybody, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a classic uh, Sunday school for those that were raised in Sunday school. I mean, it's a classic Sunday school story. Jonah swallowed by the giant fish. I mean, that's a great story. But what, what the, in reality, if we do not get involved in fishing for people, we could wind up being fish bait. <laughs> Think about that one for a while. He is also a picture of a person who thinks they can run from God. Oh, there's a lot of us uh, that ran from God, and that, you know, I, I ran 
from God for years. Uh, even though, and a lot of people sitting in this building know what we're talking about. You, you know that God has something that He wants you to do, but you just kind of run on, and even though you might, you kind of like Jonah, you have your reasons for, for not submitting uh, to that call or what God wants you to do, but no matter how far you run, you can't get away from God. And you can't get away from that touch He has on your life. Jonah chapter 1 and verses 1 through 3, and I want you guys to follow along and read with me. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went what? He went what? But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and he went down to Joppa. And he found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare, and he went what? Down into it to go to them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now I want to say something. You and I may run from God, but if you do, remember that the road is always going to be down. Remember the guy that left Jerusalem uh, to go to Jericho? It's one of the famous stories in the Bible. And the, and the scripture says he went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves and they beat him and they stripped him of his garments and let him, left him on the Jericho road half dead. Whatever caused that man to leave. See, Jerusalem is where the temple was. Jerusalem was where worship was. Jerusalem was where the presence of God was. Whatever it was that caused that man to leave that place to go to Jericho. Jericho was a cursed place. God cursed that place. You did not want to go there, but the road from Jerusalem to Jericho is downhill. And any time we begin to run from God, run from the presence of God, or run from the directive that God wants us to do, notice that it's always going to be downhill. And then notice what happens. He paid the fare. Not only is the road when we run from God going to be downhill, it's going to cost you. It'll cost you personally. Just talk to some of these folks around here that that have made a change in direction in their life, before they change direction, it cost them. It, it'll cost you. It'll cost you uh, physically. It'll, it'll not only cost you monetarily. Just the, I mean, I, I wasted more money on junk before I got saved. Don't you wish, I, and I wish a lot of times that I had back all the money that I'd spent on sin. I don't know what a six-pack costs today, but. I could barely afford it then. But, and then I went to a ball game. And when I was at convention here a couple of years ago, we went to a ball game, and there was some families sitting, three or four families sitting in front. I don't know what a glass of beer cost at a ball game. Probably four or five bucks a glass. 
And I, the rule was the rule was there, and uh, we was in Dallas, and I forget what team we was watching. I don't know the Rangers, and uh, and there's a limit. It says a limit. Three beers is a limit. Yeah, right. Those people drinking a barrel full, and every time a round would come by, and, and that guy just keep passing. I bet it cost those guys five hundred dollars for beer. And then I thought to myself, if they got saved, they'd complain about tithing. Come on, shout now with me, will you? You spend more on beer than you'll, you'll ever have gain in tithing, you know. But that sin, it's going to cost you. You paid the fare. It'll cost your family. It'll cost you relations. It's going to cost you to run from the, the, the touch of God or God on your life. You can't outrun him. <laughs> Don't believe the lie that it's only going to affect you. That's a lie. I'm going to do my own thing, and I'm just only hurting myself. Boy, you need to wake up. Smell the roses. You're hurting people that you love. Not just hurting you, but your family and your friends and your neighbors uh, that you could be influencing in, in a positive way. It's costing you, and it's costing you more than just money. Precious lives. He is also a picture of a defiant believer who wants mercy for themselves but not for others. <laughs> Jonah knew if, they, if he went to Nineveh and they responded to God that God would show mercy. Look at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 10. I don't know if you have it there or not. Then God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them and he did not do it. See, Jonah knew, if though if I go there and I tell those folks and they, and they repent and they turn to God, God is going to spare them and I want them dead. Someone said, if you want mercy, you look it up in the dictionary. <laughs> oh my God. A woman came to me at the graveside yesterday. Uh, and it's one of those moments that a woman's coming toward you, and you know she's coming directly to you to talk to you, and you don't have the foggiest idea of who this is, and you're racking your brain trying to figure out before she gets there and ask you a question, and you don't even, you don't recognize her, you don't know her name. And she comes up and says, do you remember me? <laughs> there you are. No, I've got a chemo brain, you know. That's, it works for Rhonda. <laughs> whatever. I mean, we can, whatever, you know. And I said, no, ma'am, I am so sorry. I don't. Um, I know I should. And I begin to make excuses of why my, my memory is so flawed. I'm married to Linda, and that's, that's one. <laughs> I can't remember last week. No. But I'm talking to her. I said, no, I, I'm so sorry. I, I don't. She said, 35 years ago, my husband and I lived at Bell Ridge, and he got up one day. He was, he was an alcoholic, a terrible alcoholic, and he got up one day, and he said, I'm going to go to talk to Brother Ross. And uh, you led him to the Lord 35 years ago, and his name was so-and-so. Do you remember him? <laughs> <laughs> no. No. <laughs> Why do I get into these situations here? 
And I, I said, no, ma'am, I'm sorry, I don't. She said, he drove into, big, into Wasco and he talked to you. And he'd come back and he was crying and he was ranting and going to the house and he was moaning and carrying on. And I thought he'd went crazy. I thought he left drunk and come back drunker. And uh, she said, I, I, you know, she said, I started yelling at him. She said, it took me two days to realize that God had answered my prayer. <laughs> they had gotten saved. <laughs> then she asked another question. I thought, I can't get out of here. She asked, why are Christians so mean? Oh, I'm going. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Jonah is a picture of a Christian who has forgotten that they have received mercy rather than justice. And now he, had, he was a prophet of God and he had lived so long and got so comfortable with God that he was wanting God to kill other people and not give them mercy, but extend him mercy. And so I answered her, I said, you know, if I had the answer to that, I'd write a book and make a fortune and retire. No, I'm kidding. I said, you know, man, I, I, you know, I don't know why Christians can't get along. I don't. I don't know. But I do know that someone who has received mercy should also turn around and be a mercy giver. We also see this in Jonah. After being saved from the sea, saved from the fish, he still gets angry with the God who rescued him. This guy is a mess. Look at Jonah chapter 4 and verse 4. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry? In all of his ugly qualities, we see ourselves. We see our sinfulness. We see our brokenness. We see our selfishness. We see our disobedience. And we see our desperate need for God's forgiveness. The name Jonah means, and I want you to get this, his name means dove. Running bear. Lovely little white dove. Little white dove. His name means dove. When you think of a dove, what do you think of? Gentleness. Um, beauty. I mean, you don't see violence. You don't see anything in the dove. Spiritually, it means to be a declarer of joy and salvation. That was his mission, his mission. His name even relates to his mission. In reality, he was prejudiced, he was mean-spirited, he was selfish, he was given to pouting and was more concerned about plants than he was people. Have you read that story? Have you read his story? Jonah chapter 4 verse 10 says this, But the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored, nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Verse 11 said, And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city 
in which are more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and, and he throws in here much livestock. So Jonah is pouting because the plant that God had caused to grow over him to give him shade, he was pouting because the God prepared the plant, and he also prepared the worm to kill it. But he was pouting more for the plant than he was the people. <laughs> so God was asking. Now he said in this phrase, he said, they don't know their left hand from the right. What that means is, now listen, they were a Gentile city. They were not covenant people. In other words, they did not have a word from God. They knew they were in a mess. In fact, they probably didn't even know they was in the mess they was in. Why? Because they had no word. The scripture says, without a vision, my people perish. What does that mean? You need a word from God. And if you don't get a word or instruction and direction from God, you're just going to perish in your mess. But these were not covenant people. They had no prophet. They had no voice from God. They had no word. And so here's a people who God cared for that didn't even understand the mess they were in or the judgment that was headed their way. And they needed a prophet to come by to give them a word so they could get out of the mess. They didn't know their left hand from their right. And Jonah's more concerned about the plant than he was the people. <laughs> Another thing we learn from the book of Jonah is that God loves cities. God's concern is not only for individuals, but also for groups of people. You notice this. He calls and makes covenant with families. If your family has not made a covenant with God, you need to. What do you mean? Just like, just like Joshua lines them up and says, you need to choose this day whom you're going to serve. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to, I'm going to pass on the blessing. Now, what, you know, what your children do with that, that's all right. But mom and dad, you can cut covenant and with, with God. And when you make covenant and you, and you commit yourself to the Lord, then you live it out. And, and you start walking it out, and you start talking it out, and you begin, and you stay true to the covenant that you made with God because the, the Scripture says it's better not to make a vow than to make a vow and break it. But you cut covenant with God as a family, and he, God makes covenant with tribes. There was many tribes that made covenant. Israel would come across their path, and there'd be a lot of, of cities and tribes that would make covenant with them and, and, and become in covenant uh, relationship with them. He makes covenant with nations. From Abraham, the covenant he made with him rose a great nation. And so God makes a covenant with nations. Judgments and blessings are pronounced on entire cities. Now, notice something that God says. He said there's 120,000 people in this city and much cattle. What does that mean? And why did he mention uh, much cattle? Cattle was their business. It, it stands for the wealth of the city. And what God was saying, you see, God takes it, God looks at people's wealth. Why does he do that? Because it takes money to do stuff. It's one thing to get a person saved. It's another thing to get their wallet saved. <laughs> and much cattle. He saw the financial resources of the city, and God saw the potential. If that city comes to God, 
Not only has that city come to God, their business interest comes to God. And what they can do in this area, it will be unbelievable because their wealth will be generated toward a, an objective to change not just that city, but the surrounding countryside. And Nineveh had the wealth to do it. It takes money to operate on. Mm-hmm. The question comes, who is responsible for the city? Jonah is a picture of the church in today's world. The church has received a call just like Jonah did. The church has been given a mission just like Jonah was given a mission. What is that mission? Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Then he said to them, his disciples, Go ye into all the world and do what? And preach the gospel to every creature, to every person. That's the mandate. That's the mission. That's the call. Now, someone said, oh, wait a minute. Now, I'm not an evangelist. Now, let me me back up here and say some things to give you a revelation. It was not the presence of unrighteous people that finally brought the destruction to Sodom. Let me say that to you again. When when Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed, it was not the result of the unrighteous people in that city. It was the absence of the righteous. If there had been ten there, God would have spared that city. Don't, don't, uh, oh, what's the word I want to say? Don't undervalue your potential and your effect as a believer. That city was destroyed not because there's ugly people in every city. But the reason that city was destroyed was because there wasn't enough righteous people in it. And all he needed was 10 actually to turn the city around. All he needs is one. You. You, me. Not only did God love Nineveh, but He loves the Ninevehs of our world. He loves Wasco. He loves Shafter. He loves McFarland. He loves Delano. He loves Button Willow. He loves Bakersfield. This pit, this story is not just a story that you can just isolate. Yes, you can isolate to one particular city in the scripture called Nineveh but in principle it is it relates to any city anywhere anytime USA or wherever you happen to be the question is do we as a church love our cities the way God does what is my reaction to the call that God has placed on our life. Here's another point I want you to write down. God intended the cities of the land of Canaan to be a blessing and not a curse. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 10, notice this. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. I'm, going to, I'm bringing you into land, I'm going to give you. 
In that in the land, when God began to dispense and give to those people uh, cities, there were cities of rest. There was mini spiritual ministry centers designated in that land to be a place where people could go and be renewed spiritually. There were six cities of refuge where they could go and be renewed and safe. There was 48 cities, priestly cities, scattered throughout the land of, of, of Israel where people could go and find spiritual renewal. They were priestly cities. There was all kinds of cities. There were storehouse cities where cities that were designated to, to be storehouse cities that in case of, of famine, and all that, there would be cities that people could go and receive provisions in times of, of real starvation. There were cities of defense. There were cities that were specifically built that, if, if, that during the war, you could flee to that city behind the walls and be protected in those cities. There were, there were selected cities set apart throughout the land for selective services, just as it is in our day. God loves cities because cities is made up of people. Notice number four, the book of Jonah reveals to us that God uses people, imperfect people, to accomplish his purposes. You know, if God can use Jonah, he can use us. Man, when I I know you're not supposed to compare yourself. Because the scripture says it's not wise. But when I set Jonah up over here and I begin to compare, you know, if you're going to compare yourself to somebody, pick somebody. Pick a Jonah. He was a mess. I know I'm a mess, but I'm not that big mess. But what it says to us, if God can use that guy and give a word to a city that he hated, I don't know why God put up with that guy. Sometimes I, I think the same way about me. I don't know why God puts up with me. But if he can take an imperfect person like this and go into a city and give them the good news that if you'll repent, God won't destroy this city. And, and, the, and the folks respond to that. If God can use him, he can use us. He uses the simplicity of preaching. Now, someone says, well, I'm not a preacher. I, I understand that, that when I say preacher, uh, it's not that you have to get a Bible and go get a pulpit somewhere and start preaching. That's not what I'm saying. You're a preacher whether if you've never preached a message at, at all. You are still a preacher. You are, you are a carrier of the message that God has planted in your heart. Has God changed your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. All God wants you to do is share your testimony with someone about how he has changed your life. And then if you'll allow him to, God can change yours. That's simply personal witnessing. And you shall be what? Witnesses unto me. First in Jerusalem. Someone says, where can I go get involved in evangelism? Where you're at. It's the truth. I want to go somewhere way over here to get involved in evangelism. Okay. Uh, are you involved in evangelism here? No. But, uh, well, God says first at Jerusalem. Well, the Holy Spirit's calling me over here. And 
well, I don't, why did he write first at Jerusalem? Holy Spirit wrote this. Why would he change his mind and tell you to go to China? If you're not involved in evangelism now, and if you're not effective in ministry now, how many times have you ever heard me say this? You can go to Oklahoma, and it's not going to change. You can go to New York, and it ain't going to change. 2,000 miles will not change you. You're just going to do there what you've done here. Nothing. Get involved in evangelism, first at Jerusalem, then Judea, so the circle gets bigger here and Samaria. So you start Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. Before you go to the world, you need to evangelize Jerusalem. Isn't that what this says? The Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. And you're going to be witnesses unto me, first at Jerusalem, where God has planted you. Teachers, God has put you in strategic positions. Those of you that, and we've seen the effects of the power of one person here yesterday, didn't we? About how one person can influence and impact a community and a society. We've seen that. Wherever God has planted you, you need to be effective where you are at. Personal witnessing, ministering, meeting community needs. People's already come to me about, about wanting to get involved in meeting community needs and and, 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 and I'm telling you, that is, that's ministering the Word, and you're going to be impacting families, whether it be through music or drama teams or movies in the park. I, there's somebody that's doing music in the park. We have evangelistic teams that go out every week from our church that ministers on the street and whatever. And if you want to get involved in evangelism, they invite anybody to go with them, and it's on a weekly basis that they do that. And they're sharing the good news, one person at a time. The power of one. Now, the story of Jonah is a challenge to every believer and lets us know that we can have an impact on our world. You can have an impact on your world wherever you are at if you will release yourself to the call of God. When all of us accept the challenge to arise and go, we will experience a life-changing, culture-impacting revival. VBS. You rise to the challenge. I know that we're going to have, most of the kids will probably be ours, some that are connected. But there's going to be some kid that they're going to invite that brain whose parents are not saved. That's our target. That's our target. And these, all these people along here that, that has volunteered, it's tough. It's long hours. They didn't learn all that stuff in 10 minutes. Now, Myra may have learned that because all of her life she'd been doing this. <laughs> but those kids, they've been teaching those kids. I mean, they've been coming. I was out here one day and it's coming in the afternoon. I'm telling you. What you see this next week did not just happen Monday morning. Somebody's been working and working hard, working hard. And I want to tell you, I, as a pastor, I appreciate that. I really appreciate that. And I know that we don't, we don't say that enough. But, man, uh, we try to, you know, anything you guys need. And I've told Marcy more than once, anything you need, you, you let us know. We want to be able to, to give that because we see 
what it can do when people arise to the challenge. We must arise and go. Now, I want to end this. Somebody came up to me and said, what did you preach last Sunday? And I said, well, it's, a, it's about be strong in the Lord. No, that's not what you preached on. Somebody came to me and talked about impartation. I want to, be in, I want to get in on that impartation stuff. And I, so, and I did talk about impartation, and, I'm, and we're going to get a service up. After that service last week, somebody comes up and says, what is that? <laughs> and that's where we lay hands on you and cast the devil out of you. <laughs> no, not really. But somebody came up and says, I don't know. I've never heard that. What is that all about? And they was kind of, you know, it was a legitimate question. Well, we'd be doing some teaching on that. But, but. Do you know, I want to close this way. You know why, and I was talking to Brad about this. I, I received revelation. You know why Elijah happened to throw his mantle on Elisha? I mean, you don't see that he got a direction from God. I, I read it. You can read 1 Kings. You can read chapter 18, 19, 1 Kings. He, he didn't receive direction from God to put his mantle on Elisha. What was it that caused Elijah, the man of God, to hand his mantle or pass his mantle on to Elisha. And impartation is, is, is impartation of, of, of anointing and, and uh, empowering of, of, of giftings. But when, he, when Elijah went by, he was walking down. Now, I realize that God directs a person's steps. But he sees Elisha plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. You say, well, that shouldn't be strange. They're in Israel, and that should be strange. That's farming country. It hadn't rained in three years. Now, he had it rained one time in three years. And here's a man out in the field, and the ground is so hard, it takes 12 yoke of oxen to break it up. And he, by faith, is plowing that ground. And Elijah says, that's the one. Anybody has got enough faith to be plowing hard ground after three years of drought, got to have something going for them. Something there we can build on. Something there that God can do something with. And that's what impartation, and he came by and he all he did was just hit him with his mantle. And Elisha said, oh boy. He uh, burned his plows, took a couple of those oxen to sacrifice them, said, and took off after the anointing. That was on that guy that came by. Listen, the challenge before us, if God can use Jonah, he can use us. Amen. Every head bowed. Father, in the name of Jesus. I sense your presence here. In this place. And all across this building. There is people that you have laid your hand upon. That has felt your touch. And you have spoke to their heart. About ministries. And things that you, you, you have called them to do specific things. And, and they kind of. They're, they're kind of reluctant, Lord God, to surrender. And even now, they could be struggling with coming forward to 
to reveal maybe what God is asking them to do. And I'm praying today that through the, the challenge of your word that they're going to receive courage to know that through you they can accomplish. If, if Jonah could accomplish that, even in the attitude he went reluctantly, he went obediently but with a fixed attitude. If, if you could use that kind of a person, God, then you can use us. You can use these individuals that you have been speaking to. Give them revelation knowledge today in the name of Jesus. Let their giftings and their anointing rise in their heart. Let the awareness arise in their heart that what they can accomplish with you. The power of one. The power of one person. We saw it yesterday at a funeral. How one person can change the change generations it can change not just one generation but one person can absolutely influence generations of people and I'm persuaded that there's people in this place that are doing and can do what other individuals have done we can change our cities we can affect generations if we'll just release ourselves to the call and the purposes of God on our lives and I pray that you will anoint them give them courage and boldness to do what you have called them to do if you're here and you don't know Christ is your Savior he has purpose for you he has purpose for you and you may have resisted him, and you may have run from him, but I'm telling you, you cannot hide from God. No matter how fast you run, you cannot outrun him. And the only thing you are wasting is time. Isn't it about time you quit running? Isn't it about time you surrendered completely to him? Before we close today, I want to give you an opportunity. Pastor, that's me. I've been running. I've been running. I know that I need to surrender my life to Christ, but I have resisted and I have run. Today, I'm coming home. Here's my hand. Will you pray for me today? Can I see that hand anywhere in the building? Young or old alike, you've been running, but today you want to stop. Is there one? God bless you. God bless you. I'm coming back across. My eyes are coming back across the building. Your hands right up and right down. Get my attention so I see it. Here's my hand, Pastor. Here's my hand. Is there another? God is speaking to your heart even now as I speak. Your heart's beating fast. And the voice of your conscience is saying, lift your hand. God bless you. God bless you. Today, I'm stopped running. Stopping my running today. Surrendering to God's call on my life. I want everybody to stand across the building. There's been people raise your hand. Today, you're going, everybody's going to repeat this prayer. 
I want you to say it with your heart. I want you to mean it with all your heart. Those of you that raise your hands, I want you to, re as you repeat this prayer, it's not just another prayer, but it's a prayer for God's forgiveness for your life. And I believe today that when you pray it by faith, that God's going to come into your heart and change you. And you're going to be changed from this moment on. So everybody, repeat after me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin and come into my heart and make me new. I receive you today as the Lord and Savior of my life. Amen. God bless you. Give God a good hand.